So this morning we are going uh, to be looking at the Holy Spirit's work in regeneration. In order to do that, I'm going to lay basically gospel foundation review for everybody, but something we always need to be reminded of. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, today. Thank you for loving us, for being gracious, merciful to us. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, bringing us to life, uh, opening our eyes, granting us repentance and faith, and just pray that we would be mindful of the fact that uh, all that we have, all that we have been granted is uh, a work of grace uh, through you, through your Son, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, we contribute nothing to our salvation. Help us to be ever thankful, ever mindful uh, for what you have accomplished on our behalf. <clears throat> and just pray that you would you know, help us to understand today uh, more deeply the work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. And uh, Father, would also uh, lift up Israel this morning. Pray that you would uh, bring peace um, to that land. Pray that you would protect life and pray that you might use uh, this war uh, to bring about the salvation of your elect. Pray that you would open eyes to lost state, and to the necessity of faith in Christ, the only hope for peace and the only hope for entrance into your kingdom. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, foundation. Man was created in the image of God. He was intended to have an unbroken relationship with his creator. He was intended to be a co-ruler, exercising dominion, caring for and nurturing a creation that had yet been untainted by sin. But then, through Adam's sin, all of humanity was plunged into sin and was placed under the curse of sin. All of humanity, every man, woman, and child was born in sin, born with a sin nature, and that sin nature daily, continually, moment by moment until the day we die physically manifests itself in each and every one of us by causing us to sin continually, living in constant, blatant disobedience, rebellion, and hatred against God. We're all born spiritually dead and destined to die physically. Every man, woman, and child is born alienated from God, born an enemy of God and under God's righteous judgment and wrath, destined for an eternity in hell. Bad news is, the terrible truth is, there is absolutely nothing that man can do about that. There's nothing you or I or any human being can do about that. We can't live a life that's good enough. We can't ever tilt the scales in our favor. We can't earn forgiveness for our sin and rectify our hopeless estate. We can't save ourselves. We can't make ourselves right with God. But the good news is because God is gracious and merciful, because God is love, he has chosen to save a remnant of his creation through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, God the Son, through his sacrificial death on the cross, taking our sin upon himself and suffering 
God's full and righteous wrath and judgment against sin, poured out on him and absorbed by him in our place. He lived a righteous, sinless life for us, a life that we could never live, and he died a death that we deserved to die. He suffered the punishment that we deserved in our place, a punishment that for us would have lasted for all eternity. We know all this because God has revealed it to us in Scripture. He's revealed the gospel to us, the person and work of God the Son, the sacrificial saving work of Jesus Christ. Scripture also reveals that the atoning work, the saving work of Christ on the cross is applied to the elect, is applied to believers, primarily through the work of the Holy Spirit. And I say primarily because, as we've already seen the past couple of weeks, all members of the Trinity, all members of the Godhead are indivisibly involved in all of the acts, all of the works of God. However, certain members, whether Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, are attributed with being the primary agent in specific acts or works of God. Now, man needs the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in order to be saved, in order to have Christ's atoning work applied to him him or her. And I'm going to read this whole exchange Jesus had with Nicodemus, a passage that uh, we're all familiar with, John 3, 3 through 7. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Man can never see the kingdom of God. He can never see heaven. He can never enter into the presence of God. He can never experience the blessings of eternal life in heaven in face-to-face relationship with God. He can never have peace with God. He can never turn from sin and trust in the finished work of Christ unless he's born again. He must be born of, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and that is the essential meaning of regeneration to be brought from spiritual death into spiritual life, to be reborn spiritually. Man is spiritually dead due to that inherited sin and the outworking of his sin nature. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, and that's not just physical death, as we know, but more seriously, it refers to spiritual death, separation from God, and the inability to do anything good or contribute anything to our salvation. God must bring men to life. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, and also verse 5, 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So, apart from the regenerating work of God, the Holy Spirit, we are spiritually dead in sin, enslaved to sin and Satan, unable to do anything good, and only pursuing sinful passions and desires. We need the regenerating work of the Spirit because dead men can't make themselves alive. Corpse that's rotting in the ground can't all of a sudden decide, well, today I'm, I think I'll bring myself back to life. Today I'll reverse the physical corruption and decay and bring myself back into the land of the living. It's not like Wesley in The Princess Bride, who is only mostly dead, but not fully dead. In our sinful, unregenerate state, we are totally and absolutely dead, not just mostly dead. We can't do anything except lie there, rotting and decomposing spiritually. And to further illustrate the inability of a dead man to do anything, uh, is to think of someone who has drowned, sunk uh, down to the ocean floor, and no matter how many times you throw out a lifeline to that individual, that dead man will never take hold of that lifeline. He will never be pulled to the surface. He can't take hold of it because he's dead. He's dead, lifeless, incapable of any physical activity or response. He will never, ever grab the lifeline and be pulled to safety. <clears throat> or if you're out backpacking in the high Sierras and you were to come across someone who had just died of a heart attack and was lying in the trail blocking the way, which did happen to me about 30 years ago, not the heart attack part, but the finding the dead man the trail part. So no matter how much I might have yelled at him to get out of the way, no matter how much um, logic I may have used to argue with him uh, that moving out of the way would be a good thing so that people wouldn't have to step over him, no matter how much I might have kicked him and whipped him to motivate him to move, he was never going to move. Now, just so you know, I didn't do any of those things. Um, my friends and I performed CPR on him for quite a while, but to no avail because he was dead. And the only way he could have ever come back to life would have been if God had intervened and miraculously brought him back to life, just like Jesus did when he brought Lazarus back from the dead. Lazarus had been dead for four days, and his corpse had begun to rot and stink. John eleven thirty nine. 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time <clears throat> there will be an odor, 
for he has been dead four days. <clears throat> and in the King James, it says, by this time he stinketh. So I love that. Lazarus was totally dead. He was rotting and he stinketh. And he certainly wasn't going to bring himself back to life. Jesus had to intervene to restore him to life. Jesus had to call him out of the tomb and repair and restore all of the damage that had been done, the decomposing and the decaying that takes place in physical death and had been taking place for four days in the grave. Well, the same is true of those who are spiritually dead, which is all of us prior to faith in Christ. Man in his unregenerate state is spiritually dead and decomposing. He is spiritually dead and spiritually stinking. And just like the drowned man at the bottom of the ocean or the dead backpacker on the trail or Lazarus, no matter how you approach them, no matter what you say or how you try to reason with or persuade them, they will never respond. One writer said you can try both the sugar and vinegar approach. You can attempt to entice him by sweet promises of forgiveness of his sins, peace of soul, eternal happiness. You can thunder in his ear about the majesty of God, Mount Sinai, and the threats of hell, or you can sit down with him evening on end, showing him the logic of the gospel. But if the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit does not open his eyes, if the Holy Spirit does not give him spiritual life, he can no more respond to the gospel than that drowned man could take the lifeline or the dead backpacker could respond to my coaxing or CPR. So these analogies of physical death and inability show us man's great spiritual need for the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. God is the only one who can bring the spiritually dead to life so that they can respond to the gospel. Dead men do not respond to the gospel. Scripture uses four different ways of describing or picturing spiritual regeneration. They are spiritual birth, spiritual cleansing, spiritual creation, and spiritual resurrection. Now, the first three ideas uh, spiritual birth, cleansing, and creation are found in Titus 3.5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, the word that's translated as regeneration is only found here in Titus and in Matthew 19.28. In Matthew 19.28, Jesus is talking about the millennium, millennial kingdom, a new regenerated world where he will be sitting on his throne. An actual literal translation of that passage is in the regeneration, not in the new world. And the passage in Titus is referring to salvation. And the word that's translated as regeneration is actually a combination of two Greek words, and I'm most likely going to mess up the pronunciation of these words, but uh, it's palin and ganesia, and that literally means born again. There's another Greek word found in 1 Peter, 
1.3 and verse 23, anaganao, which also literally translates as born again. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has, called, uh, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then verse 23, for you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, that is through the living and enduring word of God. And then, of course, when uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he uses two words that mean born from above, which refers to spiritual rebirth by God. And that's in John 3, uh, 3 and verse 7, also in James 1, 7. First John also repeatedly refers to being born of God. First John 3, 9 is an example of that. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Then, the idea of spiritual cleansing from the filth of sin is also connected with regeneration. <clears throat> Titus 3.5. But the Apostle Paul also refers to this in Ephesians 5.26 and 1 Corinthians 6.11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the spirit of our God. Titus 3.5 also contains a term that means spiritual creation or recreation, anachinosis. Uh, the definition is a renewal, renovation, or a complete change for the better. And that same term is used in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And in Ephesians 4, 24, and to put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Then in John and Paul's letters, the spirit is attributed with giving life or bringing about spiritual resurrection. John six sixty three: the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And 2 Corinthians 3, 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Scripture also credits the giving of life um, to both the Father and the Son. Numerous passages, one where it includes both is John 5, 21 says, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. <clears throat> so this is just another example um, of the fact that even though the Holy Spirit may be the primary agent in regeneration, in spiritual renewal, renewal, recreation, rebirth, um, all of the members of the Trinity are involved. Regeneration is ultimately a work of the entire Godhead, even though Holy Spirit may be primary. Now, next thing to address in the Spirit's work of regeneration is how, how the Holy Spirit regenerates the spiritually dead. The problem with that is that um, Scripture doesn't say anything about how the Holy Spirit does it. It just says that he does well, that goes back to the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus where he explains the mystery of the Spirit's work in John 3, 
6 through 8, says that which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. So the manner or method in which the Spirit regenerates may be something of a mystery, may be hidden simply due to the fact that it is a spiritual act and it's not physically or materially observable and, and Scripture doesn't speak to the specifics of the method or the means. But there are some things that we do know about regeneration from what we see in Scripture. First of all, re spiritual regeneration <clears throat> takes place in an instant. It's not a slow gradual process happening over the course of hours, weeks, months, or years, unlike sanctification. Either a person is regenerated or they're not. You're either dead or you're alive spiritually. There's no in-between. And that's indicated by, first of all, the different metaphors and analogies that Scripture uses to describe regeneration. For example, creation, creation happens instantaneously. One moment a thing doesn't exist, and the next moment it does. God says, let there be light, and there's light. There's no in-between phase or development from nothingness to existence. Physical resurrection also takes place instantly, or in the twinkling of an eye, as 1 Corinthians 15.52 says. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. Dead, then alive. No intermediate stage. A baby is also conceived in a moment. Once there was no life in the womb, then in a moment there is life. And all these metaphors are applicable to spiritual regeneration. In a moment, the Holy Spirit brings the spiritually dead, the unregenerate man or woman into spiritual life. Something else that should be said about regeneration is that this work is not simply the Spirit changing the outward um, acts of a man, changing uh, the outward behavior, his, his words, his actions. It's not an external influence that the Spirit applies for the purpose of uh, moral reformation. The Holy Spirit works regeneration on the inner man, the heart and soul of man, because the heart of a man is the very center or source of his being and existence. The heart is the source of all of man's thinking, his willing, his emotions, and ultimately his outward actions. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And Jesus, in Mark 7, 21 through 23, for from, with, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So, if a man's thoughts, his desires, his emotions, 
his will, and then ultimately his outward actions are to be changed. The heart must be changed. It's the metaphor that the type of fruit you get get depends on the type of tree you're picking that fruit from. That's Luke 6, 43 through 45. Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. Man in his unregenerate state, his spiritually dead state, has a heart, a nature that is corrupt and evil, therefore can only result in corrupt and evil thoughts, desires, and actions. So the Holy Spirit has to change man's nature, his heart, his innermost being, in order for there to be any outward change in thoughts, desires, or actions. And this is what the Spirit does in some mysterious way, again. And it's actually the fulfillment of Ezekiel's new covenant promise in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So clearly, in regeneration, the Holy Spirit literally and figuratively goes to the very heart of the matter. In some mysterious and inexplicable way, he transforms the heart and soul of man in this work of spiritual regeneration, bringing from death to life. Now, another observation is that the Holy Spirit is absolutely sovereign in this work of regeneration. Man has no control over regeneration in any way. He doesn't contribute to it. He can't prevent or frustrate the Spirit's work of regeneration. And Jesus makes this point, speaking of the Spirit's work and rebirth in John 3, 8. It says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. No one can tell the wind where to go or when to stop and start. And it's the same with the work of the Spirit. The Spirit regenerates whenever and whoever he chooses to regenerate. Now, another analogy that speaks to the Spirit's sovereignty is that of birth. In birth, the baby has absolutely nothing to do with his conception. He doesn't choose to be born. The pre-born baby doesn't somehow mysteriously communicate with his parents and say, okay, now I choose to be born, so get busy. The person that is yet to be born cannot will themselves to be born or reborn, and it's the same with spiritual birth, same with regeneration. Spiritually dead individual cannot say, would not say, or even try to command the Holy Spirit, now I will be brought to spiritual life, so get busy, make me alive. Spiritually dead individual cannot will to live. That which has yet to be created cannot will to be created. In the example, the baby, the dead man, creation, um, yet to be created, and in spiritual rebirth and spiritual resurrection, the individual is entirely passive, and the Holy Spirit is entirely sovereign and active, bringing to life, regenerating whoever he chooses to regenerate. 
And again, always keep in mind that all members of the Trinity are involved, sovereignly involved in regeneration. That's why John says in, in John 1.13, who were born, referring to believers, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And one final observation about regeneration is that it precedes faith. A spiritually dead individual is incapable of doing anything good. They are blind, deaf, and unresponsive to the truth of the gospel and their need of repentance and faith in Christ. They are utterly incapable of understanding spiritual things, and the gospel is definitely a spiritual thing. And that's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man refers to unregenerate. They can't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They can't accept the gospel. They must be first brought to life. They must first be transformed from a natural man to a spiritual man in order to respond to the gospel in repentance and faith. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God calls the spiritually dead sinner out of death into life. <clears throat> He gives the spiritually dead man or woman a new heart. He opens his dead and blind eyes to see, to comprehend, to respond. He enables him by imparting spiritual life to him so that he can repent, so that he can believe in Christ. And then even the faith that is exercised is not of the newly regenerate man's doing. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. So God sovereignly does all of the work. He does all of the work of regenerating, of bringing to life, of bringing to faith. Romans 8.30 says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It is all a sovereign work of God. So after the Holy Spirit brings the dead to life, causes the unregenerate to be reborn, blind eyes to be opened, and the gift of faith is exercised, trusting in Christ to salvation, the eternal destiny of the new believer is forever changed. We know that. And then their daily experience is also transformed over time because they have been transformed in regeneration and in the exercise of faith. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. New creation. Transformed. Or an example once from Paul Washer that compares uh, standing in the middle of the street being run over by a semi-truck 
And he says it's the same when you, you, you have an encounter with God. I would say it's the same when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit regenerating. You cannot help but be changed. You will be changed. So let me read you what John Walvoord says, old um, theologian, um, professor from Dallas uh, Theological Seminary years ago. Uh, he says in his book on the Holy Spirit, new life brings with it new capacity. The person who before regeneration was dead spiritually and blind to spiritual truth now becomes alive to a new world of reality. As a blind man for the first time contemplates the beauties of color and perspective when sight is restored, so the newborn soul contemplates new revelation of spiritual truth. For the first time, he's able to understand and accept the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures. He is able now to enjoy the intimacies of fellowship with God and freedom and confidence in prayer. As his life is now under the control of the Holy Spirit, he is able to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, which is utterly foreign to the unregenerate natural man. His whole being has new capacities for joy and sorrow, love, peace, guidance, and all of the host of realities in the spiritual world. Regeneration is the foundation for all Christian experience. This at once demands that regeneration is inseparable from salvation. And as a result of regeneration, uh, it will manifest itself in the normal experiences of a transformed life yielded to the Spirit. In fact, just as that example that Paul Washer gave, if there is no transformation in the life of a professed believer, then it's doubtful whether or not regeneration has actually occurred, followed by actual saving faith. Regeneration and all that's involved in and impacted by regeneration can't occur without there ultimately being outward transformation in the experience and expression of the individual. Now, finally, the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, the fact that this work is a sovereign act dependent on the electing choice of God rather than on the will of man. It's one of the sources for the doctrine of eternal security. Once regeneration occurs and the regenerate individual trusts in Christ to salvation, that cannot be revoked. It will not be revoked. Romans 8.30 again, those whom he predestined, he called those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Never in Scripture do you ever see an individual who has been regenerated not coming to saving faith. Faith always follows regeneration because it's a gift from God. Never in Scripture do you see an individual who's been regenerated, brought from death to life by the Spirit, being made unregenerate by the Spirit. You never see a regenerate man or woman being made unregenerate, taken from life to death. It never happens. And a man or woman could not cause themselves to be unregenerate since they had nothing to do in the first place with bringing about their regeneration. And you never see in Scripture an individual being regenerated more than once. Regeneration is a one-time, instantaneous, permanent work of the Spirit that is irreversible. 
That soul that is once regenerated is regenerated and saved forever. Now, a believer may fail uh, to experience many of the benefits and the blessings of life in Christ uh, through repeated sin and disobedience, may lose out on joy and peace, confidence and prayer, and many of the other spiritual blessings that are attendant uh, to life in Christ. May need to engage in repeated confession, repentance, and restoration uh, to a place of obedience and submission to the Spirit's empowerment and direction, but the fact of regeneration never changes. It is irrevocable. And that should be a great source of comfort, confidence, and hope for the believer, knowing that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, any questions? Yeah, Clippers 2020. Physically dead. They were not, their spiritual regeneration was still intact. Most uh, theologians, uh, teachers believe that they were, in fact, believers, but God took them out, took them home to heaven. So, yeah. You should pray and you should evangelize because God commands it. And it is the means that he uses to accomplish his sovereign purposes. And it doesn't explain in Scripture how those work synergistically. But the primary reason we do those things is because God commands it. Yeah. Anything else? All right, so next week we'll be talking about uh, the Holy Spirit's work in sanctification and illumination, maybe guidance. Let's see how much time it takes to get through those first two. All right, you're dismissed.